House come to order if members can take their seats. This budget is a huge job maker, and the number one solution to economic insecurity is a job. Hungry children can't learn, and it's our responsibility to try to help. Equality and opportunity. I believe most people are here because they want to do some good. Hello and welcome back to Capital Ideas. It's the podcast where members of the majority Democrats in the Washington State House of Representatives sit down at the Capitol and talk about ideas. We talk more about policy here than politics, and that's just one of the things that makes Capital Ideas a fine way to spend 20 minutes of your life a couple of times a week. Today's ideas are generated by Representative Melanie Morgan. If you stick around, I think you'll agree these are important ideas. Representative Morgan lives in Spanaway and serves the residents of the 29th Legislative District in Pierce County. We talked on February 5th, 2024, and let's get to it. Welcome back to Capital Ideas, Representative Melanie Morgan from the 29th Legislative District, Pierce County District, that's uh, very diverse, very big. It's been a couple of years since you and I were able to talk with these microphones in between us. Welcome. Well, thank you, Dan, for having me again. I appreciate that, and happy Black History Month. Thank you very much. So we're recording this on day five of Black History Month for 2024. I'm glad you reminded people of that. We've got a lot to talk about today. Uh, You and I even had so much to talk about that we had kind of a preparatory conversation to decide how to best use our limited time here on Capital Ideas. And I want you to be the guide. What do you want to talk about? I would love to start with uh, House Bill 2282, which was African-American studies. And that was simply about continuing some work that the Senate had uh, directed the Office of Superintendent of Public Instruction to hire a consulting group to discuss and look at African-American studies in grades K through 12. The report came back with that they thought that African-American studies is something that is needed, but that it should start with grades 7 through 12 and that we first had to start with defining what African-American studies is. And so I took that report and pulled two directives out of that to have uh, OSPI, the Office of Superintendent of Public Instruction, to work on. And that was we do have to have a definition. And the reason why we need a definition is because people in America uh, are under the assumption that Africans were born in a test tube in the transatlantic slave trade. The reality is Africans were here on the planet way before the slave trade happened. They were kings, they were queens, they were doctors, they were legislators, if you will. So this is important that our students learn what contributions and successes those Africans contributed to this country. I truly believe deep down in my soul, Dan, that if we can educate our students on the truth of matters, then we will have a less of a divide in the country. I heard something this morning. History is not just the study of the past, but also the explanation of the present. The reason why that's important is to understand, as I've already set it up, who Africans 
were. And they were human beings before they were classified as animals during the slave trade. And then with emancipation, getting our supposed freedom, but yet still facing mass incarceration, Jim Crow laws, which leads to post-traumatic slave syndrome, as Dr. DeGruy out of Oregon has termed. That's a real interesting term. How did she define this? I don't want to mess it up without quoting her, but for my understanding, it's more about what you see in black African-American communities today. Some of that being with the, the, there's no opportunity uh, to get out of a struggling poverty situation. There's no options for our kids in K through 12, as I just learned that in Pierce County, nine out of 10 uh, kids that are arrested are black. This is the school to prison pipeline starting in preschool. This is the post-traumatic slave syndrome left over from black codes devaluing black human life. So black lives do matter. And what it sounds like to me is that people who are pushing back against uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion policies right now, a lot of them are being rolled back that were instituted back in 2020 after George Floyd was murdered and there was a pretty big movement that swept the country. People pushing back against these are saying the whole problem involving the earning power, the leadership, et cetera, of black American communities has to do with the people themselves, not the situation. It's all the above. If we set about devaluing human life in the African community, and it still continues in 2024, then at some point we're going to have to say that this is really a genocide. And it is not just the racists who are participating in this so-called genocide. It is also called nice racism, coined by uh, Dr. De'An- Robin D'Angelo, about white progressives who also practice implicit biases that don't face their own, if you will, with leadership, their own diversity, their own equity, their own take on inclusion, and not allowing for shared power then we uphold the system, the status quo. Dear, what are some of the ideas that you have been working on that you feel like would make a difference? House Bill 2282, that if we can teach our children about the truth of history, as black history is U.S. history, but we want to ban it from schools, we want to ban books that are teaching it, we don't want to teach the truth in the U.S. history books, but I say this, that black students for centuries have been sitting inside classrooms learning of Eurocentric history, learning of other cultures' history. But the minute that it comes up about black history, we only want to talk about how we kidnapped, stole black people away from their tribes, their families, their culture, their language, and brought them to a country and said, you may not call yourself Kunta Kinte. You will be called what we call you. This is why I don't like the word BIPOC, that term, because it's once again renaming us. Whatever it may be, it is not black folks who are naming themselves. It is the status quo because it's cheaper and it's easier to control. You've got other bills. 
I'm looking at the bill that you have written. It's had a couple of versions. Uh, one was to create a Department of Housing, and now it's to do a study to study the feasibility and the expense involved in creating a Department of Housing. That also addresses some of the same problem. Exactly so. But before we move on to there, just wrapping it up with the African-American studies was just about creating a work group to define what African-American studies is and to to create an instructional model and method using community voices as well. Over 200 people testified in support of that bill, and yet it did not come out of committee. But that goes right into that next bill of House Bill 2270 of creating a Department of Housing. We should know that that comes out of my lived experience. Uh, As I became first homeless in December of 2016 and was not housed again permanently until July of 2019, um, so I, I started off my lived experience as a homeowner. I'm a, I'm a veteran of the U.S. Army. I used my GI Bill to buy two homes. A divorce and a bankruptcy caused me to lose that. And this is when I started uh, having the experience of dealing with Section 8, the Section 8 voucher that subsidizes your rent from the federal government. When you are holding a Section 8 voucher, it is not like you're going into the best neighborhoods sometimes, right? Also, you're not also getting the best rental that's out there. The first homelessness came with substandard housing, with mold and bed bugs. The second homelessness time came with two evictions, over $50, and I was a new tenant. So this is a big misunderstanding between a landlord and a tenant. The problem here is that I was holding a Section 8 voucher and being evicted at the same time. These seem like an oxymoron, but there's little representation for when you're going through an eviction. That's why this is so important that this department be created because it's not only just about looking at housing as a whole, but there are some things that the state of Washington has been grappling with ever since 2002 when I entered uh, advocating for housing as a commissioner on the housing authority in Pierce County. One is that we have to create more supply, and we know that. We've been told that we need to create 1.1 million units of housing. Then we also need to look at this eviction process. We need to ensure that we are keeping people housed and not unhousing them to add to the homeless records. We need to look at senior housing. Um, which with the rising inflation, with the rising costs in rents, and if you have a senior who's on disability, there's no way that they can afford to stay in the rental market. That causes homelessness. So there are different pieces. It's a large bill, and there are different pieces that I am asking this group to look at. And it's not just the group deciding and making decisions on their own. There are probably over 30 entities that are being called out inside the bill that must have a voice inside this report from the legislature to the executive branch to our community partners in community. 
And by consolidating the various housing agencies, commissions, etc., into the Department of Housing, this would help these voices be heard? What I'm looking for is more of an efficient way that we can tackle the crisis that we are experiencing here in our state. If you look around the nation, lots of states are starting to take alternative approaches to homelessness as we're realizing the programs that we had in place are not tackling the crises. We can barely service the roles of those that are homeless. We never set up the programs with the idea that we were going to be at this crisis point. So the programs that we did set up have done their due diligence in trying to keep people housed or move them into opportunities of home ownership. But at this point, it's spilling over, and we need to take a more focused, holistic approach. And what's the status of that bill? It is now in appropriations, ready to be exact out. And what that means to the layperson is? What that means is it's in a financial budget. It costs money to run this bill. The money has to be paid to the consulting group to do their work. So the finance group is looking at that now. Once that comes out of that group, it will be heading over for consideration for the floor for a vote. All right. What else? What else? My other bill, House Bill 2336, about assessing agricultural lands. Uh, got turned into a proviso, so a budget ask. What we have to know here in the state of Washington is that we are losing prime lands to private companies, prime agricultural production lands. We have to be concerned about this as we move into the future. Um, Where will our food production come from? We are great exporters of lots of 10 high commodities, onions, apples, berries, hops, That's what we export out to the world. This is where our revenue comes from, so where we can go back and create the Department of Housing. So it's important that we have lands that can produce these very commodities that we need. So what I have asked is for the Department of Ag to go out and look at state-owned lands and see if they are still utilizable. Is that a word? (laughs) I think you just made it. For agricultural production. Once they decide if the land is, is it being underutilized or is it not being used at all? If it's not there for agricultural production, then I have asked them to pass it on to Washington State University's renewable energy program so that they can assess if these lands are not usable for agricultural production, could we use them for solar or wind uh, renewable energy? There's a third piece to the bill. The third piece is to take that information then and create an educational program back to the community, especially amongst our youth and amongst people of color. As we know that only 96% of farmers in the state of Washington are white. 1.37% are Asian. 1% are Native American, Alaska Native. 0.14% are black African-Americans. So the idea is to engage those people who have been historically left out of agricultural production, renewable energy power, to engage them to participate in this industry. Now, sometimes we have great intentions for legislation to become policy. Sometimes it's better just to take it through a budget ask. 
And that's what has been decided on this bill. Instead of codifying it, we're just going to go ahead and ask for the budget, ask for the assessment. With that said, it's expensive. The part that's expensive is renewable energy. That was going to cost over $600,000. The study. The study. Renewable energy is something we also need to pay attention to as we rapidly move towards the future. And just as there's a fight or a discussion, whatever we want to call it, nationwide about reparations, because we waited for centuries, now it cost over $3 trillion. Do we want the same thing in renewable energy? At some point, we're going to have to invest up front. So we've decided that we will save that piece for 2025. The $600,000 $600, renewable energy. So what is left now as part of the ask? It's just to assess agricultural lands that are state-owned that are not being used or underutilized. Let's say they determine that plot A in County X is suitable for agriculture. It's just sitting there. It's fallow. What's going to be done? What's the process to get this into production of hops or wheat or cherries? So it kind of backs up into a proviso that I had in 2020 when I asked the Department of Ag to assess equity in farming and ranching. So this hooks up back up together. This is a plot of land that could be for people who have been marginalized, underrepresented, to now have the opportunity to have land that is owned by the state that we could offer uh, an opportunity to build generational wealth. Do I see a connection there with the reconciliation account? Dan, you're so smart. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes, you know, you believe you're doing the work of the people with your great ideas and think that I'm smart. I'm not. The reality is is that... uh, There are bigger things at work in my life that are connecting the dots. I'm just here to be the messenger and carry it out. So you're exactly right that all of this hooks back up to the community reinvestment account in that we had four buckets. And one of those buckets was economic development. And so agriculture would be a part of that. But let us not forget that I had added a whole nother bucket just for agricultural farmers. So as soon as we can figure out how we can get these funds to the very people they were meant for without it being a reimbursable process right. and that it's up front, it's a grant, is where we're working at right now. Good luck. Thank you. I need it. Representative Morgan, I hate to say this, But we have been talking for a while, and we've got a certain time limit, and I know you've got other obligations. What would you like to finish up this podcast with? Thank you, Dan, for asking that question. And yes, all the time when I come and speak with you, uh, the time seems to just fly by because we're having such a good time and discussing important issues that affect our constituents in the state of Washington. In the spirit of Black History Month, I would like to finish with The national theme for Black History Month is African Americans in the arts. This is important. As I had said throughout this podcast, that Africans were not born in a test tube in the transatlantic slave 
uh, trade that we actually have major contributions that we brought with us from the continent of Africa. And one of those is art in that art has contributed to the nation, to the state of Washington, as we can see through many uh, places. For instance, we have the bust of Martin Luther King in the rotunda. We also have the paintings for our first black family that came to Olympia, as a matter of fact. I think this is another way to look at the value of black African Americans in the state in that we offer more than what is perceived in status quo. So happy Black History Month. Happy Black History Month. Thank you very much. Representative Melanie Morgan from the 29th Legislative District. As always, it's been a substantive and challenging conversation. Those are the kind I like. Thank you for being on Capital Ideas. Yes, thank you, and Black Lives Matter. Thank you. I promised important ideas and delivered. If you got something worthwhile today and you haven't subscribed yet to Capital Ideas, now's a good time to do so. You can find us on the usual big-time podcast sites, or you can drop over to housedemocrats.wa.gov and hit the media button up at the top. You'll see the words Capital Ideas Podcast. Click there and you'll be able to subscribe for free, of course, and you'll have access to 16 years of Capital Ideas interviews, including a few featuring Representative Melanie Morgan. Remember, this is your state government. What goes on here matters, and so does your voice. I'm Dan Frizzell for the Washington State House Democrats, putting people first since 1889. Thank you for listening.